Welcome back to the fourth episode of Rugby Fixation. We're back after the first win under Dave Rennie's tenure, so there's a fairly different level of excitement, a different energy around the um, Wallabies today. So breaking it down with me, uh, as always, my brother Curtis, what are your thoughts? How are you feeling? Um, uh, there's no better no better feeling as a Wallabies fan than beating in the All Blacks, especially at the at our home stadium of Suncorp. So great excitement is a... It's a nice early morning game. Had some breakfast beers to celebrate and a nice cook up. So, yeah, couldn't have asked for a much better start to my Saturday morning yesterday. Yeah, that is one benefit, I guess, to uh, living in London is watching that. That gets to start your day off right. So, you know, whereas the previous weeks it might be a bit of a down, and like especially off the back of a thirty-eight point loss, to start your day getting that win, am I crazy? I know that you know we grew up in Brisbane, so we have the the slight favoritism towards it, but what is it about Suncorp that just makes it so hard to, you know, lose? Because before the match, we were saying, oh, well, the record's so bad that even with those wins and the tight games we've had there, surely we can't get the same result. But it just seems to be a fortress. It is. And I think I think you see it more in rugby union than most other sports. And it might just be my bias towards towards rugby. But you look at, like, how the All Blacks have performed at Eden Park, how the Saffirs have performed at Ellis Park how Scotland somehow managed to pull out wins at Murrayfield but can't win a game anywhere else. So I think there is this this sense of this is our home. And um, despite, and I know you and I always get frustrated where they continue to play more games in, in New South Wales than they do at Suncorp, despite getting similar numbers to the games and us having a much better win record at Suncorp. But yeah, I think it was a little bit special as well in a team where there's uh, a little bit more Reds dominated than it has been for a very long time. But uh, it's... Obviously, a testament to the stadium and, and the Wallabies' um, feeling of home at that stadium. Because even when it was a very Tars-dominated team under Checker, we still had a great record there. So uh, I think it's I think it's great. We should probably play more games there. It's one of the better square stadiums you'll see in the world. And uh, yeah, as you know, you were there. I'm surprised I could still hear you today. Actually, after all the screaming you would have been doing, but I'm sure it would have been a great atmosphere at the game. I'm not sure what was the bigger damage in the end, actually, because the screaming was pretty bad, but the mid-strength um, Bundaberg Rums I had there also did a fair bit of damage. That was a slight problem this morning, trying to call the new puppy through the yard, making sure I wasn't, you know, so neighbours too much with a raspy voice. But, um, <laughs> yeah, awesome to be there live. Great to see, um, you know, that footy's definitely still alive and well. That was the one takeaway that I had, I think, before we got into the stadium, because uh, we got to Caxton Street, which is, you know, right next to it um, at about four o'clock, so two and a half hours before the match. And it was littered with jerseys, you know, Wallabies and All Blacks. But no joke, about 25 to 30% of the people we saw had the kit on, had some form of, you know, rugby merchandise. Um, it, it's great because you don't hear people talk about rugby quite as much as, you know, the league and AFL get brought up. But it seems that the fans that we do have are legitimate diehard uh, passionate fans, you know, they're completely behind the team. So, uh, it makes and all of those fans should jump on and listen to Rugby Fixation if they want to learn even more about the great sport and uh, and one of the greatest teams on the planet that just per- knocked off the All Blacks off their perch. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, gee, how long has it been since we've lost the All Blacks? It's, um, <laughs> I can't even remember the last one. <laughs> looking loss. pretty good. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what? Just on that note, that is one thing that I really do like about versus the All Blacks is. Because uh, we've been lucky enough, we've seen um, the Wallabies beat the All Blacks twice at Suncorp in the last three years. We were at that match as well in 2017. And uh, New Zealand fans are great in loss. I think they win so often that they can take a loss on the chin. They're normally pretty 
um, you know, happy for us, you know, normally because the blood is already wrapped up, but um, it was much the same last night, you know, everyone in front of us that had the black jersey on, they were, you know, understanding of the loss, they thought it was well-deserved for the Wallabies and, you know, I obviously agree, but it's nice to see that, it, you know, both sides of the Tasman. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I thought one of the highlights of the game actually happened after the game where Sam Kane goes over and hands, over, hands James Slipper that nice bottle of New Zealand wine. I think that's just a, a really special moment in rugby. And Slipper, a very, very modest wallaby, has been around in the frame for a very long time. Um, and it's good to see his credentials getting acknowledged, even very humbly in a defeat. And there's never any slouching of the wallabies after a, after a defeat. It doesn't happen too often, but... Yeah, Sam Kane, pure class on the field and then off the field as well. It's been great, and especially when Hooper got his uh, hundreds a couple of weeks ago as well. Similar treatment. It's really good to see, and it's it is yeah, it is a game. Um, it's it's great when we win, but it's those those sort of special moments that make you love the game even more. Exactly right. Um, I, I thought it really fitting as well that it was Sam Kane who, in the twenty fourth minute, was the one that actually. Uh, did the slap slash punch to the back of Slipper's head, but he was also yeah. after the match, uh, you know, handing him the champagne. So it's, you know, it does show that, you know, the, the angst of the, you know, rivalry on the field, it goes away pretty much as soon as the whistle's over and they can get on pretty well. Yeah, exactly right. Um, just on that note, I was just thinking a bit of trivia um, because you did say Hooper just had his hundredth, Slipper just had his hundredth, uh, Simmons had his late last year. Uh out of the rest of the people on the field for the Wallabies last night, who do you reckon is the next closest to 100 caps? Next closest to a starting team? Uh, you can include the bench as well. Is it a starting player or a bench player? It's a starting a player. Bit of a hit. Okay. Um, Simon's already there. I would have to say... Oh, geez, really clutching at stores. Maybe Hodge. It is Hodge. Yeah, he's the next. Yeah. Uh, What's he sitting on, 35 or something? He's uh, low 40s. I think he had okay. 43 or 4 after that match. But um, it, it does show a bit of the gap in the experience in the team. And that's one of the things I've you know been posting a bit on, um, on the socials is just looking at you take away Simmons, Hooper and Slipper. Um, in every test match so far, they've accounted for around about 45% of the test experience. And I think it was actually a bit over 50 this week because uh, Scott Seo, who, you know, has 60 or so tests, he was actually uh, rested for Angus Bell, uh, who was obviously came on and debuted. So, yeah, it's just, it is a concern to see, well, how many how many games will actually be under the belt if anything does happen to those players? And uh, that's something that's actually going to come up later in the pod as we talk about that. Uh, but I thought we could tie this episode in with the last one. I was asking you last week about which players we thought might uh, be an upgraded, downgrade, or neutral because they've already made a host of changes before Bledisloe 4. Uh, and now that we've actually seen the match, we had some thoughts about some of the players. So I'll go through them again. I just want to get a recap on how you actually thought they went. So we started off with one of the changes being Rob Simmons in the board pack, and we said that was a downgrade from Salakai Loto. And it wouldn't be a change that Rennie would have made if it wasn't for the injury. So uh, how do you feel that stood up? Do you think that was a downgrade? Oh, I, I'm a little bit reluctant to post too many negative comments, to be honest, after a win, because it's obviously it's a, it's a team effort that gets you the win. Uh, we did have some performances that were better than others. I think Simo actually 
top the tackle count while he was on. Maybe Hooper took over towards the end when he came off. But the um, one of his better games of the year, I thought. Definitely, he's not. He's not by any means a freak, and he's a, a long way off his his opposite number in in Whitelock. But a, a better effort than we've seen from him this year, I thought, and stuck to his tackles. Uh, yeah, by no means a stellar performance, but I'd, uh, yeah, he's sitting that in that six and a half out of ten, six and a half, seven out of ten, I would have said. For yeah, Simmons, so that's pretty good effort. That's probably what we said we wanted last week as well, wasn't it? Or I guess it was only Friday. We only recorded that last one. Pele uh, led into the piece, but we just wanted him to do the basics well. And his job or his role, really, all we wanted to do was take the lineouts, make the tackles, um, and he did that. You're right. So he had 11 from 13 tackle attempts, and you know, to his credit, a lot of them were actually pretty dominant shots. Um, but really, none more dominant than the next person that changed was uh, Lockie Swinton, who I thought did an awesome job coming in at number six. Um, he had a pretty, you know, difficult job, really, um, especially because it only lasted for 33 minutes before his red card. But up until that point, I thought he was doing exactly what we needed a six to do. Geez, wasn't he good to watch? Head down, bum up getting through big tackles and loving it by the look of it. First two on Artie Sevilla and he did not take a step foot a step forward, Artie. So that's uh, not too many players in our team that can do that. Um, obviously, a red card, you can't really call it a good performance when you get red carded. But I'm, I mean, that might come up later in the pod, but I think uh, it's a tough job for a referee trying to referee against the letter of the law with those types of things. I'm sure they don't want to call those cards. Um, I would have thought for... For both of them, because uh, I guess, yeah, we're on that now. I, I would have thought maybe a yellow for both, but like, I don't know how you can say a six foot eight man in Whitelock didn't lower his body height going into contact that meant a six foot three or four bloke in Swinton didn't hit him on the chin. Like that, it's just un, like that is not possible for him to have not lowered his body height for that to be a red. And when you compare in a a six foot winger in right going into a 125 kilo prop in a fussy get compared to a yeah a big lock coming down and copping one mildly on the chin by Swinton. I'd say yellow at max for both of them, but um, sad sad to see Swinton's night ruined because of because of that. But I think he's definitely earned another crack at the six jersey. Yeah, the thing for him is, I guess because Wallaby still came away with a win, he won't feel as if he cost the team anything bad, which is you know the the one takeaway that I think we can take. Um, as you know, I guess a slight positive because you're right. You saw him hop off the field and he just looked completely dejected because, you know, he knew he's not getting back on the field. He'd done so well to make those big hits. And you're right. I've never really seen someone put Sevilla back so dominantly in a tackle, but he did it again with um, Sam Kane. I think he had another big hit on, um, might've been Leonard Brown or Barrett just with one of the runs as well. Just every shot he was making, it wasn't just to get them to ground, which he did, but it was, you know, to drive him into the earth. He was really yeah. impressive in that six jersey, I thought. Yeah, it was great to see. Uh, and I think that combination actually worked quite well, I would have thought, with Swinton, Hooper and Wilson. Swinton doing uh, more of the big... Actually, Wilson, GC put on some, some big hits as well. I like to call them the well-timed hits. Yeah. Uh, some, some of the Kiwi fans tend to think that they're a little bit late, but... Geez, it's, it's a lot of defensive pressure when you've got those two blokes and then Hooper, who's just in the face of everyone. And I love seeing Hooper being able to defend at that third defender channel, being able to shut down that play before um, and allowing our winger to stay back a bit because of the pressure that he puts on in defence. So 
smart. Yeah. I think that's a, a work, that combo worked quite well. Um, yeah, really happy to see that one go again. Well, just to go into that, because we had a pretty even split of um, possession with the All Blacks in that match. Our back row, so Swinton was on for 33 minutes or so, made five runs, uh, got over the advantage line in four or five, um, yeah, in four of them, uh, made seven from eight tackles, but it was the quality of the tackles, you know, like they were those big shots. But to go on with that, Hooper passed, um, you know, seven times. He was getting a lot of ball involvement. He was moving the ball along, um, ran 12 times for 39 metres, beat three defenders, uh, you know, made his trademark 15 or 16 tackles. Uh, but it was Wilson, 15 runs. You know, like we didn't yeah. have that much ball. Like to get 15 runs under the belt and to have, you know, quite a lot of them as nice attacking options, you know, breaking the field open a bit and setting up a few backs, um, especially if we get those offloads to stick, it's a really, really promising sign having some of that size and that desire to run. Um, but as you said, also enjoy putting on such big hits. Yeah, it was really great to see. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the best back row combo that we've seen. I think Hannigan actually did a good job again off the bench. So maybe maybe that's sort of a position that he can cement, um, particularly Selica Lota looks like he'll be out for a little while longer. Um, Hannigan didn't look out of shape when he came on. As a, as a bench second row option. Now, this is where I guess I, I might not have been quite as kind uh, to Simmons as you were because Simmons played 55 minutes this week. He played 35 minutes uh, last week when Salah Carlotta got injured. Across that time, while he did his you know, defensive work reasonably well, how many tackles do you reckon he made? You know, for how many metres? Oh, sorry, how many runs for how many metres? I think he made one last week. Actually, no, I don't think he made any last week, and I think he made two this week. Zero runs, zero metres in 90 minutes. Okay, geez. Yeah. Um, and that, that's my only concern because we said we just wanted to do the basics, but when you're that big, it nearly does, like you just got to get over the advantage. Like you, surely if you just fall forward, you're going to have to, you know, make some dent in the defence. I, I just don't get it. I don't know why he's not putting his hand up for those um, opportunities. He, he passed the ball once um, from what I saw. So for 90 minutes, to just have one touch of the ball outside of the lineouts um, baffles me. Yeah, that's not good, is it? I, I did not realise it was that bad. And you, don't, you sort of don't know him as a dominating ball runner or anything like that. If... And the exception that I would find is if he's a super effective clean outer in the in the ruck, uh, and he gets through the majority of our clean outs. I don't really see that in him either. So, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, not not up to scratches an international lock, but I think in terms of his performances, it was probably still one of his better ones. But yeah, yeah um, when Wilson's doing fifteen runs and. I definitely, I'd have Wilson on his fifteenth run, tied late in the game over Simmons on his first run of the game. To be honest, yeah, no, it's, it's pretty fair. Now, I, I don't want to become known as uh, a podcaster that slags off Simmons because I, I do like what he's done for the game, um, not just for the Reds, you know, recently for the Waratahs and for the Wallabies, but um, for anyone that is interested in seeing, you know, him at his best, you really can't go past the try he got in the twenty fifteen World Cup against Argentina. I recommend going back to watch that because. Just big intercept. That big intercept. Honestly, it was like Spider-Man. I, like, I forgot how good it was to reel it in because he didn't use his arm. It was just his hand, really, that pulled it in. And he showed a you know, decent turn of speed for a big fella. So 
Yeah. Is that sort of stuff? It's like the uh, Dean Mum Fend uh, for the Tars against the Sharks. Like those sorts of players, they just have that one moment that sticks out and you have to keep flashing back to it like, oh, yeah, I didn't love their performance, but I know what he can do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, more intercepts, Rob. Love that. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, just touch me through the back line because I think this is where, you know, it really gets interesting. Uh, we were sceptical on Hodge, I think it'd be fair to say, but we thought we could see, uh, you know, why Rennie would pick him and what potential upside he did have. Uh, after the performance, surely you're on the Hodge bandwagon, best 10 Australia's ever had? <laughs> yeah, I did not forget that, so just yet. But I thought that was, that was quite a classy performance from him. Didn't overplay his hand by any stretch. Um, I, I think the combination with Paisami worked better than expected. Paisami at the first receiver a few times as well, which I wasn't expecting to see, but it was, it was really good to see. And, um, yeah, I think, I think Hodge did very well. His kicking game is immense, obviously. Um, he missed, missed one shot at goal. But other than that, yeah, pretty – like, didn't – yeah, did, I think I like that he didn't overplay his hand. He didn't get too many touches. Uh, Nick White, I think, stood up a lot in terms of leadership in that game, which was really great to see. And, yeah, made his tackles. Missed one on Laomarpe when he got bumped quite poorly. But other than that, was sound defensively. And, um, yeah, that – I mean, that chip was beautiful, wasn't it? It's been a long time since we've started a game like that. Uh, and that's going back to Bernie, sort of, wasn't it? That's the thing. I think to start the game in that manner, the whole Assam Court just erupted. Like, it was a real desire to play. And even though it took another, you know, 70-plus minutes for us to score our second try, it was just – it was nearly un-Australian in the way that, like, we hadn't done something creative or that off the cuff in so long. You know, like, it, it had been built around – uh, structured plays or maybe a freak individual doing something amazing. Um, yeah. But that looked like a really well thought out um, and well executed play. So I, I was stoked with that. Um, and you said that he missed the one tackle on Lamar Pete. That was the only tackle he missed. This is my biggest endorsement for him. Uh, was 14 from 15 tackles. And again, like Swinton and like uh, Wilson, a lot of them were dominant. A lot of them were really like you know, keeping the push. Uh, you know, the person back really holding the line solid. He, he did a great job in that 10 and 12 channel when he was defending there. Because to be honest, I don't think he's the best outside back defender. I think he gets, he's not that good at defending on the wing and it's probably because he's not a winger. He gets burnt and sometimes when uh, players maybe a little bit faster feet get around him. I know Janchi used to get him a couple of times when we were playing in South Africa. And I was just thought, oh, why is Hodge on the wing again? Um, but uh, in that inside channel, much better. Like, really, really impressed me with his defence. Um, and, yeah, I don't, know if, I don't know if you get to that part yet, but I'd say the best, best performance on the weekend was Dave Rennie. How about, his, how about his ability to turn around that team, get them fired up, uh, get some starter plays? How long has it we've scored off a starter play that didn't involve full out pulling out some magic? Yeah, exactly. Jeez, that was class. Yeah, it, it was just... Everything that could have gone right to start things off did, and obviously derailed with all the cards um, from that point. But I just thought that's sending the message, you know, making a statement of intent that we're going to push the best team in the world. And they did, and they did a great job of showing, you know, what they can do. So I was really happy with that. And one of the things that I want to touch on, because you said that he had a bit of a combination with Paisami, 
Parsami ended up passing the ball more times in the match than Hodge did. So Hodge, despite playing fly half, you know, the main pivot, he only passed the ball seven times. A lot of the time he was, um, you know, going into a second phase play. He was just used to kick the ball. Um, he only made three runs himself. So he wasn't even really touching the ball that much. He was there just to shore up the team and do that, you know, direction, um, you know, moving the players around as his experience should. Because he was with a really rookie centre pairing that even though they're great athletes, Pasami and Patea haven't played that many games um, at any level together um, and definitely not that many test matches. So I thought he just did a great job of directing the team. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see him uh, stay in the starting team, even if it's not at 10, um, once O'Connor's back. Yeah, I agree. Now, what do you make of Tom Wright's debut? Because he replaced uh, Filippo Donguno on the wing and just obviously scored off his first touch, but even from that point, just had a really barnstorming display, I thought. I thought he... Because he, to me, he, to me, he seems like quite a nervous guy. Like he didn't seem super amped up before the game. He seemed quite nervous when he got his like captain uh, cap announcement after the game. Um, and he doesn't look like he runs with like an immense amount of confidence. But geez, he played with it. Yeah. He he's pretty unassuming bloke seemingly. But uh, yeah, great effort from him. Backed himself. I love that he didn't just go for the exit when he was in his twenty-two and stepped Geordie and then made a bit of a run and then they ended up getting a red card. Obviously, he got hit in the head. Yeah. Not ideal. But, like, if he kicked it, then we play against the All Blacks with 15 and we've got 14. Not that, obviously, he could. He intended to get a red card against the All Blacks in that run, but I, I just love that. I just thought that was a little bit of, if you can call it, reward for his decision-making. But, yeah, yeah back in himself, beat a couple of defenders. Um, a lot of people would just play that a bit safer on their debut. So it was good. He probably got a little bit of confidence up after his first touch, to be honest. Yeah. But um, I thought a really solid effort. That's what I want to touch on. Just as you know, I, I like going through the stats. I love the numbers of the players. But he um, ran the ball eight times for 92 metres, three clean breaks, three defenders beaten. I mean, you and I are big um, fantasy fans. You know, shout out to the Draft Rugby boys. We love their platform. Um, but seeing those kinds of numbers you're thinking, gee, not only do I want to draft from next year, but also they're great figures to be racking up against the All Blacks. You know, like... Oh, massively. The All Blacks are a team that pride themselves on their defence um, in a lot of occasions. They don't really let teams get many points, which is why they, you know, can win so many matches because they're so good at scoring their own tries. But I just... Yeah, his ability to step people and really just take on the um, take on the man on the outside, really impressive. Yeah, definitely. And you've got to remember that this is a person on debut as well. It's not like if, if that's a 30-test wallaby that's putting out that performance, you say that's a good effort. That's a 24-year-old, 25-year-old that's on debut in his first ever game and he hasn't played with any of the centres inside him. So, like, I, th- I thought that was a really good effort. Yeah. And speaking of, the only person he had played with who ended up having his best game so far this year, you know, in my view, uh, was Banks. Back in the fullback position, um, you know, he had the one-week break where Haley Petty took over, but I think he came back in this week and really showed that, you know, he can mix it a bit more at this level. He broke a few more tackles for a change, which was nice. Uh, he had a clean break as well, which was good. He obviously had the try assist right at the start. Um, I, I, I reckon it's most amount of passes in a game as well. I'm sure you got the stats in front of you, but he a, a couple of nice passes came into second receiver and shifted the ball early, which we haven't seen too much of yet. I found that he um, 
it was very interesting because obviously we know what the starting team looked like, but there was a lot of times where it'd go from white to Paisami and then Paisami passing to Banks. And I just thought, yeah, that's not positions that either of them are used to at the club level, yet they made it look, uh, I want to say good the whole time, but the first pass that he made other than his offload to right was a uh, left to right bounce pass, uh, which did set us back while we're, you know, putting pressure on them. But, yeah, other than that, he did a pretty good job out there, I thought. And I, I did find out later that it was DHP being injured. So it'll be interesting right. to see, because I would say that Halepetti last week was better than Banks in his first two weeks, probably. Uh, Banks probably touched him up a bit this week, but also that was in a winning team. So it's a bit harder to compare. But uh, that offload is no easy offload to give, to give set up right to yeah. try at the start. That was, exactly. that was quite impressive, I thought. And, and that's what made me think is, how many of these trials, how many of these players are because they've played together? Like, does Banks know that Wright's going to be his outside shoulder because of his time at Brumbies? Um, is Wright more confident calling for that player, you know, uh, knowing where to be because he's spent time with Banks and know how his, you know, he runs those lines? So I, I just, I could be over reading it, but that's just something that I took away from that as being a, a real positive, just having, you know, those small bits of connection in those key positions in the back line. I think there's definitely a bit of merit into that. Um, and I'm hoping we can touch on hit, uh, the other winger, the, the third member of that back three that was a, he was a solo man on the weekend, but boy, was he, had he made up for his couple of more average games in the previous weeks. Oh, big time. Yeah. For those wondering, that's of course Marika Corabetti who just pulled out a ridiculous performance. I'm going to say arguably the best performance for any player that also received a yellow card in the same performance. Yeah. Oh, he was the missile. His it And was. his yellow card also, it was on the back of a lot of Wallabies infringements, a couple of dumb early shoves in the mall, which easily avoidable, but I loved that it soaked up time. That was a very All Blacks play um, to soak up time when they were approaching the half. And, I mean, a magnificent steal from Philip, sort of jumping all over the shop at the, now, but... There's a lot of a lot of grit in that Wallabies team at the back end of that first half. When that that was probably when the game was either going to be pushed out of their reach um, when we were going into the second half and man down. If the All Blacks got a try, then that would have been a real head of steam that they came into the second half with. But like a oh, back to Corabetti, that immense try saving tackle on Sevu Reese, like that turn of speed to get him out um, just before the try line phenomenal and then you get the winning play at the end the, the massive shoot up on McKenzie and then the the second effort to knock the ball out of Geordie Barrett's hand just phenomenal yeah it is is really shown time and again that he's not just an attacking player because he's made some really good try saving tackles before and it was funny seeing the reaction afterwards because like we had the two-point lead there were a lot of people saying like that defensive shot won us the match and because I'd watched the game live and you know may have had a few drinks beforehand I was saying oh did it really win us the match I thought you know we'd done well beforehand to get us in that position but it, it really was um upon re-watching it today just a ridiculously good effort because you, you never know what the All Blacks can conjure from anywhere on the field so to shut it down uh, and force those errors yeah just was an awesome way to wrap up the match yeah, definitely. Actually, to wrap it up, um, you know, the match in general, 
Noel Alessio getting the chance to kick it out for the win. I know that that wasn't his only play of the match. He had some great runs beforehand, but I just feel like that's a massive confidence boost for him because his debut last week, as you said, it wasn't wasn't great, but um, he really injected himself off the bench nicely, I thought. Yeah, and I said it last week, and I probably didn't put it too kindly to him, but it's probably one of the worst debuts of like you'll get as a 10. And that's part of it because of his performance and part of it because of the team around him. Um, but he came back with so much confidence and he did not come back defeated. He came back uh, in a team where really it is like when you're coming on to steer a game, you're ahead at the last couple of minutes. I was like, oh, what is what are they doing? Lercio coming on. Hodge has been playing so well. How are they going to shift? Like it's an attacking threat in Patea gone when they shift him off. But geez, he was good. Very, he played very maturely for a 20-year-old kid. And yeah, couple, three probably half breaks, um, quick ball. And then, yeah, a great feeling for him. You saw the excitement on his face when he got to kick the ball out at the end. And geez, Brad Webber was coming in hot for a charge down then. So yeah, I'm glad, glad that one went into touch. Now, just speaking of um, Brad Webber, and I guess New Zealand as a whole, one of the things I took away from uh, rewatching it was Rennie was really happy to get our reserves on much earlier than the All Blacks did. You know, we had a lot of our boys running on pretty much from, I think the 53rd minute was when Tupo and Hannigan came on and, you know, we had pretty much everyone on the bench on by about the 65th minute. Um, I, I found it interesting that they took so long to get some of the bench players on for New Zealand because the series wasn't on the line. You know, they've already won the match. They've got a lot of debutants on the bench who, definitely could have used the experience and a bit more game time and, you know, maybe spice things up a little bit because you've got the likes of Cullen Grace, uh, Will Jordan, Brad Weber, as you mentioned on the bench. Um, I, I was a bit surprised to see that play out, but the biggest thing for me, when the Tuanga Farsi red card happened, the unfortunate, uh, I guess, loser out of the whole situation was Akira Iwani, who was on debut and uh, had to get subbed off so that uh, Tyrell Lomax could come on. But, just quietly, Ioane was having a fantastic game for those you know, 30 or so minutes that he was on the field. I, I think he was really hard done by to be taken off. Yeah, I think it's the default take off your six and bring on a prop um, and sort of call it as soon as as soon as soon Tuonga Fassi got carded that, oh, that sucks for Akira because he will be going off. And he ended up getting probably another five or eight minutes, I probably thought, because um, they waited for the next scrum, obviously, to bring on Lomax. But yeah, really good. And like you saw him tackle Corabetti. Jeez, he's got some strengths to yeah. be holding onto a jersey with that man doing his leg drive. That's sort of like you got a sled at the back of you with Corabetti trying to drag a sled. <laughs> um, and that yeah, nearly, that, was, that was really impressive. And he's good around the park as well. I was going to say, I'd say that was nearly a try saver because Corabetti was coming through. Like that was a really nice set play off the line out. Um, yeah. Early doors where they tried to do that maneuver before and watched it at the second time around. You know, the. Um, Hooper gets it, passes to BPA, who passes back inside to Corabetti. He was really busting through that one, and Yuani was the only one that stopped him in the end. Yeah. Um, so it was a shame for him. But again, diving into the stats, the thing that I took away from it, watching the game live, I didn't think Sever Reese had done much. I thought... Other than give away some horrible penalties. Ex- yeah, exactly. I thought, gee, I'm glad they started in this match. Um Clearly, he was a freak for the Crusaders last year and had a great All Blacks uh, season. But I thought, oh, he's not really going to do too much um, tonight. And it didn't seem like he had watching it in person. Uh, I did see the few 
um, penalties he gave away. I saw that he had a few runs. But nine runs for 71 metres, three clean breaks, six defenders beaten, beat more defenders than anyone else out on the field. Would you have guessed that without looking? No, nah, not at all. I thought he was horrible. Well, yeah. that, when I say horrible, I mean compared to a, a All Blacks winger, <laughs> which is sort yeah. of the best wingers in the world. But up for, And compared to him last year, I don't think. like the, the, Those two penalties were worse than the two penalties that Hangen gave away in the second letter. So the two of the exact same thing, and yeah. that's not what – like that Foster will be kicking the floor uh, over that. Like that is just an un-all-black thing to do, um, especially when you get given a crack. The last thing that you want to do, if you're a winger, get out of the ruck and don't like twice in a row carbon copy within about a minute the same penalty. So that's – I thought that was quite poor. But, yeah, he, uh, look, no slouch around the park. Um, I just thought he got outplayed by Corabetti, which was great to see. Um, two, two Fijian wingers uh, and Wallabies turned up with a better one. Yep. Lovely. Um, I just want to touch on a few things because obviously the Wallabies get a well-earned rest this week. Uh, New Zealand have to verse Argentina. And um, that's going to be an interesting one to watch actually because Argentina have had two warm-ups against, uh, I guess, the best of the rest of Australia. Um, like the Rugby Australia 15 or whatever they're calling it, but it's not really a test match quality uh, game, even though they are winning those games. So how they front up against an All Blacks that fresh off a defeat is going to be really interesting. Um, but we've obviously got two weeks to find a team, pick a team. And the only real injury that seemed to come out of this match was uh, James Slipper, who only lasted 40 minutes for an elbow injury. So I guess what I'm wondering is, do we just pick the exact same team other than Slipper for the next match based off how that went or are there other changes that you want to see? I'd be very surprised if Ocon doesn't go back to 10. Very right. surprised. So uh, And I think, Hodge will, I think Hodge will be in 22. Um, which is unfortunate because his, his kicking threat is such a big play. And I think even from the perspective of the All Blacks, um, what you probably would have been able to see it better at the game, but just their back three having to stay back further because it's Hodge's massive boot that's an exit threat, um, mm. and that's probably that's probably opens up the door for those little chip kicks and little behind behind the first line of defense plays because they have to be back so much further when you've got a threat in Hodge like that. Um, but O'Connor was. Almost the unofficial. Well, without with Tamua gone, he was sort of the unofficial vice captain slash back captain running the show, and he was is pretty like he did have a couple of blunders, and Hodge Hodge played very well. But I mean, you probably on experience still take O'Connor at ten, um, and I think the twelve thirteen worked quite well, um, and the back three worked well. So unless you play Hodge at fifteen. But then it depends on what Rennie sees Hodge as. He's put him on the wing. Um, and then you've got sort of three 15s that are probably all pretty equal. But then you'd probably rather have Hodge's kicking boot on the field for 80 minutes than, than Banks's. But um, again, it's, it's, uh, it's so hard to pick Hodge in a position and be confident with it. Like we weren't confident that he was a 10. He played well, but did he play as a 10? Don't know. I think you've nailed it there. And you took the question I was going to ask and nearly answered it for me is I think off the back of that, I'm prepared to make the call that Hodge should be the fullback. The performance he gave was 
even though he wasn't in the 15 jersey. Uh, performance he gave showed that he's got the skill set and just uh, the point of difference that we really should have him on the field. And, you know, we've got a, a good group of mates who, you know, we talk about the team lists whenever they come out, like we consider ourselves pretty good armchair selectors. Uh, we were all really hesitant to have Hodge starting. Like we didn't think he deserved a spot at the start of the tournament, but with defensive reads and hits like that, with the ability to get points from, you know, 60 meters out, I really think that the upside to him is bigger and better than what I've seen from DHP or Banks at the moment. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that's probably the the natural trajectory of the team. And Hodge, what is he, 26, 25? He's not an old bloke. He's He's got at least a World Cup left in him, if not two. So, um, whereas DHP, you're sort of 31. Is he going to be all right by 2023 World Cup? He's had a couple of pretty pretty bad injuries already in his time. Um so transitioning out of that, Banks, it's always hard to drop the player after a win and after a good performance. And Banks was good. Um, but I've mentioned it to you in the past. Banks is a fullback. He's not a winger. And it's pretty hard to have a 23, person in the 23, that uh, isn't a, a multi-position player. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. And that's leading me to think that we could end up seeing a pretty similar team with um, Lalasio and Dalgoon on the bench. Uh, with Hodge taking the fullback jersey because, yeah, you're right. I really don't see Banks or DHP uh, really as a 23 option. Uh, they're either starting or not in the team. Yeah. yeah. On that note, because you're talking about, you know, that building towards the World Cup, I was having a bit of a look. So this isn't for the 2023 World Cup. This is for the 2027 World Cup. So we're looking yep. at two World Cups in advance. This could be our potential stocker front rows because we're going to be talking about the props in a second. Yep. Alolotola, he would be 33. You know, still a pretty prime strong age. Daniela Tupo would be 31. We would yep. have Harry Johnson Holmes, he'd be 30. Pony Farmasuli, he'd be 30. And Angus Bell would only be 27. That sounds lovely. For a World Cup list of props you know we start getting harry johnson homes back on the loose head side because obviously um slipper and ceo they're great at the moment but then they're, they're going to make the 2027 world cup yeah i, I could be counting my chickens well before they hatch but i think that's an awesome list of players that if we can keep in australia just to have you know not just for the next three years as we build but for the next seven years as we build for that um you know set of world cups and then you've got your wild cards in Matt Gibbon and, and uh, Harry Hooper as well. Harry Hooper, same age as Bell. Or maybe, no, he's got a, a year senior on Bell and then Gibbon the same age as, as Allen. So, like, that's a – Gibbon, he's, he's been a really probably under-acknowledged player for the Rebels. Shored up their scrum a lot in the scrum that suffered for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and gets around the park really well for a, a prop. So, yeah, I, I think at the moment we're comfortable – in the next World Cup, we're comfortable, and it's good to see that we've got some of our, our really impressive players that are still so useful that hopefully uh, can just stay around. That's always the always the trouble, just trying to keep them in the competition. Yeah. Um, so for the next fortnight, if Slipper doesn't return, if the injury ends up being bad, did you see enough from Angus Bell's performance to keep him uh, not only in the squad but starting, or would you just back your experience, put CO in the starting jersey and? play Bell off the bench again? 
Uh, I'd be keen to see the front row that the Argentinians roll out. But I think, like, see, yes, if you're picking like for like, you probably want a pretty similar situation where CO plays maybe 45 or 50 minutes and give Bell another 30 or 35 off the bench. Um, he's, a, he's a very good player. And GC's improved his scrummaging in the five weeks in Wallaby camp. Like, I, I saw a couple of the boys rushing to Tupo after the first scrum penalty that we won. But that was Angus Bell's side. And he had Hannigan pushing behind him, I'm pretty sure, at that time. Yeah. So that's, that's not, like, and coming up against uh, Tyrell Lomax, who's not no slouch of a scrummager. I thought that was a really impressive effort for a, a bloke that got minced a couple of times for the Waratahs, came back and he must have been, I actually saw him pulling a couple of cars um, on his farm during lockdown. So <laughs> he, must have been, he must have been putting in some work. But it's, it's really good to see he's a massive body. Yeah. Really big body, probably six foot three for a prop, which is um, sometimes you can get some of the smaller props can get underneath you, but that was really good to see. The thing was, there was a bit of talk um, pre game because we've seen what he's done in the loose. You know, he's obviously a great run of the ball. I think his first um, start for the Tars, he was, I think he got a line break and maybe even a try or try assist. Uh, yeah. But everyone was saying, well, how's he going to scrum at test level? Not only did they get that scrum penalty, that was a seven-man scrum against an eight-man scrum. Now, granted, that eighth person for the All Blacks was Anton Leonard-Brown coming in at the flank, but still, that's an extra 100 kilos. Like, they did an awesome job to push that scrum back and, um, you know, assert dominance. And that, that was a turning point because Hodge gets that kick over. Suddenly, we're, you know, I think two points behind at that point um, and just in a really dominant position. Yeah, that was a massive effort and not easy coming on and scrumming against the All Blacks. Thankfully, I guess it was a, a bit more of a less experienced front row for the All Blacks. But yeah, geez, it was it was really good to see. And again, another big turning point in the game. And just on top of that, we can't really um, hype them up enough. Bell came off the bench for one run, nine metres, which is you know a massive run for a prop. Uh, beat two defenders and made five from five tackles. Whereas Tupo, four runs for 20 metres, so just monstrous efforts. He was carrying blokes with him as he was doing it. Uh, beat two defenders, broke um, you know, broke the line right at the end, got over, I think, three New Zealanders to score that match-winning try. Um, I know there's a lot of hype about him. I think that was validation that he's a bench player, that he comes on and has that impact against a weaker team. But I don't know, how do you see it? Do you think he should be starting? I think that was the perfect role that he was meant to play. And I actually had a, a friend message me that he's not the biggest rugby fan in the world, but uh, he said, has there been a better two minutes of play by a prop in history? And I sort of had to agree with him there. Jeez, he came on. He was a part of those two scrums that won the penalties. And those, that last two minutes of play that led to his try, that is phenomenal. And that's, that's the benefit of him not having 60 minutes or 70 minutes under his belt already by that point where he's got all of that energy in his legs, his 140-kilo legs that can just pump through. Anyway, it was Adi Severe that he bumped in that, that first run. And yeah. then Adi ended up coming back. But that's not an easy person to get rid of. Um, and maybe if it's at the start of the game, he doesn't make those, make those breaks. So that was, I, yeah, I think validation that he, he probably is a bench player. But yeah, I, I, that's what I love about uh, the Wallabies this year is that the bench players aren't coming on with eight minutes to go. Uh, that they're getting 30, 35 minutes, which is exactly what it should be when you've got players that are fighting for positions. You sort of want it to be 
all right, this this team of 23 slash 30 won the game, not the starting team and then a couple of players came on and they're expected to either turn the game around massively or keep up um, the, the effort that has been put in by the people before them. So I, th- I think that's really good. I felt really bad. I'm a big fan, as you know, of Colin Grace and he came on at 78 and a half minutes or something. So yeah. I'm glad we didn't do that. I don't like that approach. I think that's giving someone a cap for the sake of getting a cap at that point. Like what, what impact are you expected to make in the 78th minute? Now, granted, uh, Tupo Vai came on right at the end and did have a big impact. You know, he got that try um, because of a good run. But for a guy on debut to get, you know, two minutes when your team's down, um, you're being, you know, you're taking over the captain. You know, you take Sam Kane off for... If you go on, it's a it's an awkward position for him, I think. But I'm, I'm keen to see him get a bit more game time because I've seen how good he is playing for the Crusaders. Now, yeah, one uh, I guess personal change that I want to make the next match, uh, and it's not a forced injury. So before I, you know, pros that one to you, I just want to check: is there anyone that you want to see come into that back row? And I'm including the twenty jersey. Do you think uh, Rongus has kept his spot in the 20 jersey? And we've already said we're happy with that starting back row again, but are you happy to see Rongus stay in that 20 jersey? He did the best line-out I've seen in the last 10 years of watching Australian rugby. It's the most efficient line-out, pick-up, throw-back and quick ball that I've seen in many, many years. And that is why he should come on and be a a line-out option and not just a a back rower that gets through work because that the quick ball that we got off that and it was a, it was actually fluffing and it threw it and it was a really good throw perfect uh straight down to white and we got so much space on the all blacks off that line out and I, I just like it's a really minor thing but we're pretty slow in a line out and that was just so yeah. nice to see his speed um yeah I, th- I think i'd love to see him at 20 again I, i'm very keen to see him get a crack it's just one of those things where if you keep giving blokes at six a crack and they all go really well, does it then make it harder to pick again? So like Hannigan sort of exceeded expectations. Swinton, red card aside, which I guess is a, a major like performance issue to get a red card, but aside, showed plenty of promise. Yeah. We are showed plenty aside of pretty promise. quickly, aren't we? We're just... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, a great game. Yeah, excuse that. But it, it is fair. Like He's he, still a red card. It was great. Um, obviously, you'll want to... Make sure he's got that tackle hard a little bit lower. Um, the one player that I keep hearing great things about in the trial matches, because um, I didn't get to watch the whole trial match. I've just seen the highlights. Um, but is he nice to Rani? Obviously, we know what he can do. Yeah. I like to think he gets a crack at one test match this year, whether it be starting or off the bench. But um, I-, I found it very odd that he wasn't included in the or- uh, original squad. So I-, I hope he gets a crack at some point. But yeah, is Tate McDermott starting over Nick White? Um, and I, I was hoping you'd actually ask me who you thought I was going to say because it was I thought for sure you'd say that. Yeah. Um, and Tate has been, to my surprise, he's been better than Jake Gordon definitely for the Wallabies. I, th- I think Jake Gordon's been a better player in Super Rugby. Um, Tate has provided way more flair than I thought he would for the Wallabies, and he's. He's really opened up the game. Um, and it's, it's good to see because 
a, a lot of the time with those players, you can have some really good highlights against the Western Force and the Rebels. Um, and then you come to a, a test arena when you versus the All Blacks and there's slower ball and there's a sharper one, like pillar and post defenders and those opportunities don't arise. So he, it's good to see him still playing with the same intensity that he does at Super Rugby level. But I'm going to go ahead and say that Nick White's influence on the weekend was immense and I don't think we would have won it if Tate started. His, his ability to just every t- – like he stopped every single time by, by the one time that TJ did, stop them from taking a quick tap, which is what TJ loves to do and they just turn around the defenders. And the amount of points that they score of eyes up play is ridiculous. And every time there was a penalty, you see Nick White start a little biff with someone to stop them from being able to play it quickly. He kicked the ball out and that's why Anton Leonard Brown had a go at him. Um, when Corabitti got his yellow – Nick White jumped straight on the ball so that like they couldn't take a quick penalty there, which is probably what they would have done. Um, and just so much niggle the whole time. Like TJ went to push, put the ball in for his first scrum and he just pushed him over. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I, like especially with that less experienced team outside him, um, I thought that was such a good effort from him. You're right in the sense he's one of those players that even if he had a terrible pass and a terrible kick, He's a great halfback because of that niggle. Like he just riles plays up, you know, he's always in the ear of whoever's putting the ball in the scrum or to the ref or to, you know, people around the ruck. So he he does that job really well. And, you know, I can't argue his pass is better than McDermott's. That is the primary role of a halfback. But I was sick to death of watching him get the ball in a panic situation and offload it ineffectively or go to ground with it ineffectively or just the number of times that he tried to keep the ball alive in situations he didn't need to it was ridiculous he, he was the main culprit for offloading it to all blacks while we were you know maybe in a bit of broken play and turn the ball over five times in 60 seconds wow. you know like for all the good stuff that he does um and you know no example better than game one i just don't think you can have that many issues or that many mistakes popping up, especially in games like that. So I definitely want him in the team still. I think he's, you know, really solid in terms of what he does offer. Um, and I think his experience would be great to wrap the game up. But I just think, you know, against Argentina, where we're probably expected to win, uh, give McDermott a crack starting, see if he can match, uh, you know, test match intensity against good halfbacks like uh, Kabeshi and um, Escuro. You know, because they're going to get a crack. So I'd be keen to see McDermott start those games. Yeah. Uh, I think before I see that, I'd, I'd rather see the 45-minute, 40, 35-minute type play. Okay. Um, which so, is, so still white starting, but just getting a bit... Still white more. starting. Yeah. McDermott, keep getting him more time. First game, I think he got 10 minutes. On the weekend, he got about 20. So if he can keep, keep getting more minutes, that'd be good. But yeah, and... Like when he came on, bad pass behind the player. He's, uh, the, the issue is his pass. Yeah. And uh, he, he does have some niggle about him as well. But, um, yeah, I, and I'm keen to see more of him. I, I think he's earned that bench halfback role, uh, which I he, there were a lot of people, and I guess they're all Queensland Reds fans, um, that were spitting chips that Gordon got named originally over him. And I think... Gordon, I spoke to you. I think you were sort of similar, but Gordon had deserved that at the time. 
Um, but I, yeah, McDermott deserves that position now for sure. I, I want that off the record. I've never thought a Waratah should be starting over a Queenslander. Um, <laughs> no, I clearly I'm um, overlooking the fact that scrum half, they need to be able to pass and White does have a better pass. In fact, you'd probably argue that Gordon and Powell have a better pass. Definitely, yeah. You know, McDermott's young. He's obviously going to improve that. Um, what he offers is very different. I'm seeing similar shades, and he's obviously not there yet, but uh, Anton DuPont for France, he has a pass that's nowhere near as good as Aaron Smith's, but yeah. he offers something completely different. You know, just this ridiculous running game, uh, this size, you know, he can actually push people off. Um, McDermott's... I'm, I'm thinking he'll get World Player of the Year this year if they're still doing it. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's, he's deserved it. He just got the Six Nations Player of the Tournament. Um you know, I see no reason why he wouldn't extend that on it further. But I think that's why I want McDermott to start is I just see flashes of, you know, that attacking mindset, that willingness to, you know, play the ball that's in front of you. And yep. I just think, you know, against Argentina where maybe we've got a bit more freedom to do that, it'd be a great chance to get that experience and see what he can do in a gold jersey, with a gold starting jersey. Yeah, definitely. Great. Now... I just want to wrap up with some listener questions, which is great. That's very exciting. Um, put it out to Twitter. Um, you know, also sat around a bonfire and asked a few mates, but I thought um, got some great questions from Cactus back on Twitter and thought, well, I'll pose them to you and see if we've come up with anything. Cause hopefully we've addressed some of them already. Uh, given one of them was about Hodge and you know, his performance and what position he best suits. I think we both agreed that 15 is probably his best gateway to a starting position once Jock's back, but, you know, remains to be seen. But Cactus back asks, which positions are cemented for next year? So which players have already done enough that, you know, they are our best player in that position going forward? Uh, Hooper, Wilson, Slipper would be the first three for me. Patea, 13. Corabetti yeah. 11. And I'll probably leave it at that given Philip is out next year. That's and I think BPA has been, he, like he, and I don't necessarily think he's a great Super Rugby player. I probably would have played Alex Murphy over him for the Reds or at least played them even time. But he has turned it up a notch, and I've really liked watching him in Wallabies this year. And you see how much he loves playing footy and loves the team, um, but has been getting through an immense workload, way more than he did for the Reds. Um, so he's getting closer to cementing that position. Walesi's been got off the bench. I don't know what happened to Walesi this week, why he wasn't on the bench. Wouldn't be surprised um, if it was injury. You know, just he's constantly got those little niggles. He really gets a full season together. But also just... Rennie seems like he's pretty happy to be rotating players around. So maybe just getting some minutes under Fanker's belt. Yeah. Who was much better this week, to be honest, as well. But yeah, I think I think Slip has been the best loose head. I think Allen should start at three, but that's I don't think it's cemented. Uh, yeah, Philip should start at second row, but he's going. Lucan's injured, so who knows? Lucan should start at second row as well. Um and I'm, I'm still thinking Rodder's back at the Tars next year. No no confirmed sources or anything like that, but I, I'm a one-year deal in France, um, potentially Bird Bridges with the Reds and some intimations from 
uh, Rugby Australia that some second rowers will be coming back sooner than expected. Uh, I think he'll be signing for the Tars next year and then be available for uh, Wallaby selection, which will obviously cement him a position pretty much straight away, I'd have thought. It, it was interesting that there was this talk about you know, having the 46-man squad, Rennie really selecting 44 players and having the freedom to pick two players just for this tournament that could come back and play in it and then not actually activating that clause or getting any use out of that. So I'm not sure if that's just because the South Africans didn't come over, but it is interesting because there was a lot of talk about, you know, there's every chance we're going to be getting one lock back and maybe even two locks back just because we had so few uh, locking options. But I've been really impressed with what um, Philip and Salakai Lotto have done. Uh, I'd be keen to see Jose get a crack, but if Rodda can come back, that'd be pretty huge. I agree with you on all those. I think um, Hooper, Wilson, Corbetti, Patea, and Slipper are all locked in. You know, if all healthy, that'd be starting. And a lot of the other positions, it's maybe not cemented, but you're happy with whichever option they go for. Yeah. I think the three that stick out to me is 6, 12, and 15. Yep. I don't know what our best six looks like. Um, I've seen bits and pieces of a few players and I've liked bits and pieces, you know, like no one's really stolen the show yet. 15, it's a bit of a horses for courses. I, I just, I'd like to cement that because, you know, I feel like a lot of good teams have their star fullback and they know who it is and they can build a play around it. They've got a set role either as, a defensive organiser, a attacking weapon, a playmaker, something like that. But we, we don't have that set yet. But going forward, if you had your ideal, um, you know, teamless, you with the selector, there's no injuries, who would be your, let's go just the 6, 12 and 15. I think 12 to more. He showed enough that we capitulated when he went off the field. Yeah. And then the next game when he didn't play, we had a significant lack of structure um, and he's put a lot of defensive pressure on. He he overplayed his boot a lot in the first game, but other than that, was very solid. Uh, and he's a vice-captain. Like, that is a genuine leader in your back line. He's been a captain for the Rebels. He's been, a, like, a, a significant leader in Rupa. Um, he's got the He's got the best interest of the game at heart and he plays with... Plenty of ticker, and he's played Northern Hemisphere rugby. He's played Super Rugby finals. He's got a lot of experience. Um, so I think I probably forgot to mention him because he's injured. But yeah, I think twelve. He's he's a class above Pice Army still, and he's he's another kicking threat. Um, he's got a better pass. He's probably got the best passing game of all of our backs. And yeah, I'd be I'd be really keen to see him back. Um, so I'll lock him in at twelve, at six. I am going to propose a English setup where it depends on who you verse. Because I think if you're versing, for example, South Africa, you want your pack to be as big as you can and you almost want a second, second rower at six. If we've got, say, for example, if we get the likes of a Roddle or someone back, then you're maybe even thinking Salakai Loto at six. Just as a, or, or you're thinking a bigger body like Swinton at six. Um, but, yeah, then again, if you're playing Argentina, maybe you want a faster back row. Um, that's, it's a tough one. We haven't seen enough of anyone yet. 
Um, nice runner. He's still one of the, nice runner was one of the best forwards for our World Cup team. He's a he's a great player. Pete Sangu was one of the best players in Super Rugby this year, um, and those two aren't even in the conversation. I don't. What I don't think, uh, and it'll probably come with a lot of criticism. I know to our friends at Draft that on the on the bandwagon massively. I don't think Fraser McWright should be in the twenty, in the or in the twenty three. I think yeah. Liam Wright offers much more, much more versatility, uh, similar levels of breakdown threat, line out immense, um, and is a bigger body. So I, I think as I think, and I don't think Valentini either. I don't think Valentini's done enough to be in the twenty three. So. If you're splitting hairs between Swinton, uh, Swinton, Nicerani, Samu, Wright, and Hannigan, I think that's a pretty good conversation. But then three of those aren't even going to be in the 23. Yeah. So, yeah, I I don't know. I, I'm going to say Nicerani at six, despite not having seen him in based purely on 2019. Um, and what I thought was going to be the Wallabies team. This year, I would have thought I sort of would have been nice, Rani Hooper Wilson, particularly making up for not having six foot eight second rowers like a lot of the other teams that we versed do. That is exactly what I'd be doing. I, I want nice, Rani in that back row somewhere. Um, I think based off what we've seen, because again, like we want to go off recent form as much as possible, but I still think the best back row performances we've seen so far have come from Wilson and Hooper, obviously, but then nice, Rani's work. Um, through 2019 and even bits of Super Rugby this year. Yeah, yeah. And I think if then if you're having nice Rani at six, then you don't want Swinton on the bench. Um, and I think you'd have Samu or Wright on the bench and it's pretty hard to pick between those two. Wright has shown plenty. They'll, they'll probably both standouts in their Super Clubs this year and the, the two clubs that went to the final. Um so yeah, that's a that's a tough one, I think. Um, and then Hannigan has has impressed, but like maybe he's a he's a nineteen option at the moment as opposed to a twenty option on the bench for us. Yeah, because I, I just don't think he could probably start the test at lock. I know he did a bit for the Waratahs. He's probably not got that ability in the scrum yet. Yeah, he doesn't have the same height that you know your international locks do. But I, I did like him in the nineteen jersey. Um, but yeah, I'd be pretty happy with that. Uh, just to cover Gaktusback's uh, last point before we wrap up, uh, what do you see the current game plan for Rennie to be? Because four games, um, four pretty different styles of game. Obviously, the weather affected a few of them. Um, the scoreline obviously suggests that there's a bit of change, both on our end and New Zealand's. What do you think Rennie's actually trying to do with this team? I think the Biggest thing that I noticed this week, and I was so glad that it was very clear, was hold on to the ball. Paisami had two opportunities where last week he would have done a, an offload that would have been to a player that was one-on-one, one-on-two, and we probably would have had the ball turned over or would have been an average offload. And he held on to it. Um, that was demonstrated in putting Dalguna on the bench for Wright, who held on to the ball and didn't kick in those situations that we were talking about before. Yeah. Um, so I think... And having a 5-8 having that doesn't overplay their hand, doesn't do too much tactical kicking, I think it's probably pressured box kicks, if any kicks, otherwise hold on to the ball. Um, and I, you can see that there's been a bigger focus on scrummaging set piece uh, in the Wallabies camp. There's not been enough on line outs, unfortunately. 
But if we can, if we can manage to get two or three penalties a game from our scrum, which we've been able to do the last two games, turn them into to points and pressure, um, and then just defend. I, I think that it seems to be a territory game, territory game with ball in hand, um, and playing it safer, which is the opposite of what he did with the Chiefs. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Exactly, but you can only play with the personnel you've got, and I think. If we get O'Connor back in there, you try and keep Hodge someone in the starting team. That does give you that freedom to play that stable, um, you know, territorial game. But you've also got some good defenders in and around the team as well, just to make sure that when the other team do counter, you're stopping that from being too successful. Yeah. That's great. I um I don't know what we're going to do for two weeks as we look forward to the next match. I'm, I'm still keen to watch All Blacks vs Pumas, but I have a bit of a different feel without the Wallabies being on this week. But thanks for um, making the time to chat footy again. It was good because this is um, this is getting all the thoughts fresh. We didn't really talk much between the game being played and uh, right now. So I was glad to see that so much of what you saw in the game matched up with me. Yeah, and it's good to good to be able to talk about good outcomes as well. And uh, let's go the Pumas. Let's, let's get the Wallabies trying to win this Tri-Nations. Lost the Bledisloe. Let's try and get the Tri Nations win here and get Buffelli to get a couple of penalties from outside 50 to win 9 6 against the All Blacks. So, you reckon give a bit of um, kicking practice with Hodge, make sure he's got the uh, the radar set? Yeah, yeah, that'd be good. I'm keen to see. He's, he's the player to watch, Buffelli or Buffeschi, however you say it in, in Spanish. But yeah. uh, he's the player to watch. Comes down to how hard we're, um, we're trying to impress the. Argentina to that one. I, I like the double L just being Buffelli, but um, I just realised, as you said, that we've still technically got the Tri-Nations uh, Cup, don't we? We last won it in 2011. That was the last iteration of the competition. So I'd hate to give up that trophy that we've held, you know, near and dear for so long. But Yeah. No, I'm hoping we can. Oh, we say need a big performance from the Argentinians because we have a big... <laughs> points difference to make up for after last week's effort. <laughs> yes, our, uh, our two-point win doesn't quite make up for the dropping last week, but um, you know, obviously two very happy fans uh, in us and definitely a lot of happy fans in and around Brisbane and Queensland, no doubt uh, from what I saw and just around Australia from what we see online. So um, if you've stuck it out this far, thanks for listening. Um, and I'll talk to you again soon, mate. Sounds good. Enjoy the win. Will do. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Rugby Fixation. You can find us on Twitter, at Rugby Fixation, where we post a lot of extra discussion points and snippets of news and opinion throughout the week. If you're using Apple, please subscribe, rate, and review to help spread the podcast around. And if you're using Spotify, make sure to click follow so you don't miss out on another episode. Thanks.